0: Oh, we are actually here. We are real people. My family, I didn't make them up. They exist. It is nice to be with you. It is nice not to be in isolation. Uh, we, we struggled in isolation. I did anyway. And um, the kids did pretty great, to be honest. And uh, it is really nice to be with you, uh, especially Raphael, which we lost you for a little while there, mate. So I'm glad we, glad we saw you were up the front in the end. Um, how about we pray? Uh, I know we have, but it'd be lovely just to, to, to pray together with you uh, that God would speak to us now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word that you do speak. You're a speaking, God. You love to tell us who you are. You love to tell us who we are so that we know and so that we can take joy in our relationship with you. You love to tell us uh, about your son, Jesus, because he is the apple of your eye and the one who has given us so many good things. And so, Father, we pray now that as, as we hear your word, that our hearts would be open to have you nourish us, grow us, change us. Thrill us, excite us, inspire us, rebuke us. And Father, may we please uh, hear it with a heart that pleases you in the honour of your son, Jesus, who is the King. And in his name we ask it. Amen. Well, we do kick off. It's a it's a, a sort of a, a kingly kind of start here. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, "When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people." This is this is the the scene of a conquering king returning. Back to the city. Now we don't we don't really have scenes like this. Even in the movies, they don't sort of show you this scene. But what would happen is you'd have this king, and he would would come in and lead just these trains of first his armies, and then the the, the nobles that he had conquered, and then the slaves and the goods, and 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 he would return back to his capital just with just pomp and splendor. And you would see just how great this king was that he had taken captives of the enemies. Now, Paul quotes Psalm 68 in this. He's referring back to that, that psalm. And I want you to imagine being there when someone like King David brought back a triumphal procession. Because, I want, because you've got to remember, this is not just great victory. It's victory where once upon a time, it looked scary. You see, when he's trailing through these armies that he has then conquered, previously, maybe a couple of months, maybe a couple of days ago, they were the big scary men that you were fearful of coming to hurt your family and take away all your things. You see, it's not a victory that was, not a victory that was assured. You, you would have been worried about this. And now you see and you smell and you're there watching people who you had been scared of now defeated. Now, gone. And all of the things that they had threatened to take away from you, now actually their ill gotten gains are being distributed amongst the people for their joy. Now, the this, this psalm probably is sort of uh, referring back to the ark ascending the hill of Jerusalem. Paul here is using it to describe Jesus' ascension to the heavens, to the spiritual realm. Jesus returned to heaven in his glorious victory. And, and verses 9 and 10 kind of point out the extent of this conquest. Just how big it is. Now, I happen to have this kind of thing in my blood. Uh, the Russian side of my family are actually Cossack warlords uh, from Lake Baikal in Siberia. So, yeah, don't mess with my family. Uh, and, uh, and the way that this worked was they were basically mercenaries who had this deal with the Tsar that if they would every now and again conquer some more land and then send word back to the Tsar that, that they had conquered glorious land for your reputation, you are so great, then they wouldn't have to pay income tax. Pretty good deal, right? So every now and again, they just move east through Siberia and Mongolia, conquer some more villages, send word back, and then take whatever goods, money, and probably people looked good to them, and send word back to the Tsar. So it was not terribly impressive. It was it was actually kind of, kind of well selfish and self serving, and, and kind of just just not not that glorious. Really, is what it sounded like, but Jesus is different here. You see in verses 9 to 10, in Jewish thought, the universe consists of the heavens above, which have got multiple levels, and then the earth below. Now, Jesus has descended to the depths of the earth. And then he has ascended higher than all of the heavens, higher than the highest place. Do you see what he's saying here? From the depths below to the heavens above, he has claimed it all. Both the regular, dusty, earthly, fleshy, messy... Change nappies, the earthly realm of humanity and the divine realm of spiritual angelic beings and gods and powers, all of that, he says, it's mine. It's mine. Not just to lazily hold a notional title over it like a Cossack warlord. He is intimately connected with each element of this. Do you see there verse 10? In order to, to fill the whole universe is lord of, not just, oh, I, I just claim ownership, he is connected with, he fills the whole universe, every inch of creation. Which means that his conquest is over the Maldives and Saudi Arabia, where the persecuted church is. It's over Canberra. It's over the Chinese Communist Party. It's over KPMG and PwC. It's over Allah, Buddha, Krishna. It's over the Australian dollar, the US dollar and the yen. You see, there's not all of the the bits of reality that we think of. There's not one space in your reality where Jesus is not the boss. Whether you're in a Westfield, whether you're on your computer, whether it's the middle of the day, late at night, with friends or all on your own, whether you're on Summoner's Rift, 4chan, Netflix, YouTube, TikTok, it doesn't not matter. Jesus fills that space. He is there. He is Lord there. He's the risen King of the universe and is present. And so this great King, who when you're on your break, who when you're working hard, who when you're thinking about him and when you're not, is king. He gave gifts. He gave gifts. On a return parade, this conquering king would give out gifts to his favourites from the booty that they'd plundered. Maybe this is where the whole, you know that tradition you got if you go on a business trip, you got to bring back souvenirs for the family from the place you go, I don't know if that's part of where it came from, but, but this is that kind of thing. It's like a dad returning from a business trip to a popular tourist destination, Jesus comes with gifts and it's meant to be exciting. So we should be excited. What's Jesus' gifts going to be? Well, the gifts he's talking about are people, specific people, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. Maybe not that exciting. I mean, I don't know about you. Maybe there are some of you here who, if you woke up and you found Steve and Tim and myself, like, wrapped up in bows under your Christmas tree on Christmas morning, you might be kind of cool. This is great. You'd be weird. But, like, maybe some people are like that. But there are some beautiful things here Jesus is actually giving the greatest gift that God could give anyone because these are the people that give you Jesus. See, Paul's not talking in the abstract. He's not saying categories like engineers and musicians. and He's talking about specific people. No, the, the, the apostles, you know, the guys who saw Jesus, who, who were there with him and smelled him and touched him and ate food with him and could tell you about what it was like. He gave you them so that you know about him. It's, it's specific. You know the prophets, those guys who, who predicted and who, who, who um, told you what, it, what um, to expect about Jesus, or it could even mean the, the, the New Testament prophets, so Anna, the, the prophetess, uh, the four daughters of Philip who were prophetesses, a guy named Agabus, these different prophets we talk about, and people knew who they were, these people who shared revelation from God about specific events. And the evangelists, these are the ones that that taught all of these people that Paul's writing to the gospel, the ones who the elders laid hands on and then they said, hey, go out and share this with everyone, Paul, Barnabas, Timothy. And then the pastor teachers, which is probably the best way to understand the grammar there, like the pastor teachers, they're the one thing who took that message and they bring it to life in the local church each week, each day. You see, they knew these people. They were the people who've given them Jesus. And that's the pattern. These people are gifts because God, all four categories, because God used them to connect the good news of Jesus with people who previously been alienated from God. They're conduits for the message that Jesus is the king of the universe and that God has declared peace with all who will put their trust in him. And so because of that, they're precious gifts. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how, how you felt over the last year or so, but you've been incredibly blessed to have David as your interim moderator. He's, he's a gift is he not a gift to Tasmania a gift to Hobart a gift to you and and so often that's probably been obvious you're just sitting there and you're just enthralled by the joy of hearing him unpack the gospel in that Welsh accent like it's just not fair you know it's fantastic isn't it it's so good and we love it but I suspect there were probably times last year when it was harder to think of David as a gift maybe if he was human and limited or maybe if he said something from the Bible you didn't quite like so much Maybe if he was sinful at some point, certainly will be when I'm sinful, it'll be hard to, to, to think of, of the pastor here as a gift. But maybe if I was to call you on a sin that you actually were kind of attached to, it's going to be harder to think of the pastor as a gift at that point, isn't it? It's going to be much easier to, to, to find excuses or to be angry or to, to think you've got no right to say that. Well... It's that day that it's actually the hardest to think of your preacher as a gift, that they actually might be the greatest gift to you because that might be the day that they give you the gift through which God saves your soul from sin, saves my soul from sin as I seek to reject the words that come from the sin that wants to destroy us. Pastors are gifts. Now, what are they gifts for? bell we notice in verse uh, 11 and 12, uh, the only thing that pastors are actually particularly good for is if they are going to do their job. And this job here is to equip God's people for works of service, to equip God's people. You see, these people with word-based gifts, I meant to equip God's people for ministry so that the body of Christ might be built up. Now, that's significant because it doesn't say that the pastor's job is to build the body. You notice that there. The pastor's job is not to build the body. Um, Six months ago, well, actually, it's longer than that now. It's probably about uh, 10 months ago now, I had a knee reconstruction, which means that I've spent a lot of time with physiotherapists, right? Now, um, I've attempted to do things like weights and uh, strengthening programs, and uh, I have looked silly and sweaty and hilarious quite often. But if if I didn't do that, if I didn't do my sort of, you know, single leg squats and, and balancing stuff and all of that, rebuilding the strength, the stability, the control in the knee, then all that's going to happen when I go out and play soccer again is I'll blow the knee out. It'll go again. It'll have a relapse like I, did, like I had once. See, the physio, the physiotherapists themselves, they're super important for rebuilding my knee. But you know what's annoying about the physio? They don't do anything. I do not do anything to my knee every day. I've got to do my exercises. And there's this little like, you know, five foot one girl slide as a thing. And she'll sit there telling me what to do, telling me all the things I'm doing wrong. And I was doing a lot of things wrong. And, and, and she tells me how to make those exercises harder and more painful. And that's what's good. That's what she's good for. She didn't do a single, single leg squat herself. Right? Nothing to strengthen my knee if I don't do it myself. Pastors are annoying in Exactly the same way as five foot one girl physios, right? Their job is to equip us to do it ourselves. Physiotherapists, not builders, that's what pastors are. They're bodybuilding, not house building. You see, the minister's not the boss, this is not the CEO. I'm a nobody. See, ministers are maybe a bit more like blood. People like blood. They, their job is just to, to deliver oxygen to nourish cells. Like the minister delivers the word of God to all areas of the body. They carry building blocks to construct new cells, training and repairing. They deliver antibodies to protect the body against attacks. But really, what is it the minister doing? Enabling each part to do its work effectively. Not very important, but also very important at the same time. Verse we at verse thirteen to fourteen. Why is it like that? You see, God could have done it differently. He could have made it so that the ministers do build the church. Why is it up to us all? Well, verses thirteen and fourteen tell us it's because of the nature of the task. You see, it's until we all reach unity in the faith and unity in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. You see, we together are the body that needs building up. It's us together that needs to mature. So it's us that needs to be unified in our knowing Jesus and in our trusting him. See, the body only grows muscle mass when it does the hard work, that's how it gets the strength to withstand the winds of doctrine, the, the fads of teaching. If we work at it. The latest trend that sounds so right to anyone born in this age, but runs contrary to the word of God. That's hard to withstand, right? Like the thing that, because of the cultures we grew up in, seems right. It seems so normal. You're like, how could you you're a monster if you don't think that? But then the Bible says something that's kind of runs counter to it somewhere. That's the hard thing, right? That's where we do. The hard work. You see, it's as pastor teachers equip the body with the word of God that the body itself has to do the building up. Just listening to sermons are not going to do the building. It's like my physio giving me a sheet of exercises. It's powerful, it's necessary, but ultimately futile if I don't do what it's equipped me to do. My knee will be just as floppy and bendable to the outside forces if I don't do it. So how do we we then do this job that we together have got as a body? Well, I want, to, I want to just take one moment to ask a, a sort of a, a, a jump out of that mode question for a second. It's worth taking the question to ask this What is it exactly that grows? Because if you're like me, and you might not be, but some people you here are like me, we're Western in our culture, grown up in an individualist culture, and like me, you've probably been tracking along with, say, verses 13 and 14, where it's talking about individual growth. You know, we will grow and become better able at determining right from wrong and stuff like that. We won't be infants. Our individual judgment will be greater and more mature. But if you step down to verses 15 and 16, it's clear that Paul's got something kind of different in mind. It's actually the body as a whole that grows. He's not just just sort of interested in individual parts growing. One of the most powerful metaphors God has got to describe us is as a body. And when you're talking about body growth, it's a bit weird to talk about body growth... Like as parts. I mean, you know, like when one part of the body grows and the rest of the, of the body doesn't grow around it, like it kind of looks weird. You know, like that one freak eyebrow that, like, that just grows really long on your granddad and it's just like curly and stuff. Or like the guys who skip leg day and they're just like massive down up here and then just like the skinny tiny things down here and just look really out of proportion. Or when one part of the body refuses to stop growing and becomes a tumour that serious see individual growth without body growth deforms us if you've ever been to the physio you'll know that having one one sort of set of muscles on one side of your knee pulling harder than the other side actually isn't good because it's strong it's bad because it's pulling you out of alignment if we're not united you can feel great about yourself you're going so well in christian faith you're going so strong but if your brother is struggling well what good is that to you you're part of the one body It doesn't matter that you're going great. Your brother's going terribly. Your sister's struggling. You're part of a body. Like, no knee is ever there celebrating how great the knee is when really the arms are so weak that they can't lift the weights and and win the gold medal. The, the, The knee can't celebrate because it's a part of a body. It's no credit to us if we're going well, but another part of the body's left behind. Okay, just keep that in mind as we go through the next little bits about how we grow. Okay, verse 15 and 16. How do we not be floppy? How do we build up the body to be strong? Well, verse 15, 16, I'll read it out. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, there is, you could. Do sermons and sermons on those few verses, but we're just going to pick up three little things from it before we finish. First one is the members of the body need to be in relationship with each other. Did you notice like every second word of verse 16 is about connection, they're like connected, joined, ligamented together. And in the Greek, they even stick like the, the with word on the front of every single one of those verbs. So, you know, it's not just connected, but together connected. See, Christian, Christian congregations do not grow into maturity without being connected. There's no sort of online training course you can do to become the church. It doesn't work. You need, for that, you need to be relating to actual people. And for some of us, that's really scary. Introverts, anxious people, we will need to take baby steps. Find some good, safe people to start. Some people you can trust. It takes courage to be a Christian. We've got to reveal a little bit about ourselves maybe than what we would like to. It's like the first few weeks of rehab. Okay, you're doing rehab. You might need to start out with things that, things that seem quite small but are actually quite hard for you. The first time I was doing some of these sort of single leg squat things, I'm like, oh, it's just getting up out of a chair. I can do that. And then I'm like, oh, no, maybe I can't. All right? Uh We might need to do a little bit of that in social connection with each other. Take some extra steps that actually shouldn't be that hard to ask someone to come and have a coffee, but, well, I haven't done it for a long time. Maybe it's harder than I thought, and maybe that's why I haven't done it, because it's actually harder than I thought. See, the body needs to be connected in order for each part to do its work. I'm not saying you need to know every other person in church. Introverts don't need to become extroverts. It's not the point. But each part does different work and needs some connection to the body for the body to grow. You are needed here. You see, that's the thing. Like, you might feel disconnected. You might feel like, oh, but I'm not, this this is terrible sermon because it makes me feel so on the outer, and I wish I wasn't on the outer already. Like, you might feel like this is actually against you. It's not. We need you. Our body needs you. To be a church together, we need to be connected. And, And so the primary thing, therefore, is that it means that those of us who are connected need to look out for people who are not yet connected and offer... Love and, and be generous with ourselves and share of ourselves as well. Because we won't be complete without all of you. All right, we need to be connected. Um, point number two, we need to tell the truth. We need to tell the truth. Um, did you see the, that phrase, speaking the truth in love? That's really kind of, like, that's a good, good translation. But it's, it's, if you wanted to sort of understand what the Greek words under it is, it's literally truthing in love. Truth as a verb there. We need to bring more of ourselves into the light, to become more known, to share the real us with each other. But perhaps more importantly, having been equipped with the truth about God from our pastors, we then speak that truth, the truth of God's love, to each other's hearts because we need to hear that from each other. See, we need to hear each other's struggles with our faith. We need to to build the truth about God into our hearts to overcome the lies that sin tells us. I mean, this is one of the reasons why I love um, that that little segment uh, where you Every second week, people sharing about the things that we're up to. It's because that's that's how we speak the truth in love. We're building each other up. We're sharing what it's like on the road, trying to do ministry, just trying to live life, trying just to keep sticking with Jesus when it's hard. In the very first chapter of Ephesians, Paul tells us that God's love for us is so great that your heart and my heart can't handle it. Did you know that? He prays that their hearts be strengthened so they can handle God's love. So they could begin to truly understand what God's love for them is like. And so that's why we need to keep doing that with each other. Because if we don't keep reminding each other, a sermon on a Sunday ain't going to do it. All right, lastly, where do we go with this? Where do we go next? Well, we pray together. We go up to Jesus. You see what kind of growth Paul's hoping for in verse 16? It's growth up into Christ. Just as there's no true Christian growth when you're disconnected from the body, there's no true Christian growth which is not growth towards Jesus and trusting him, reliance on him, his gospel of grace and love for you. I mean, that's, that's the definition of growth, isn't it? Growth as a Christian is to grow up into Christ. And so therefore, praying is the definition almost of Christian growth relationships in which the love is real so that you can share lots of truth, so the real you can come out, then together going to the head, going up to Christ. That's how we're going to mature. That's how we're going to grow. That's how this church is going to become even more complete, even more, even more what it's built to be than what it is. And can I just say how encouraged I have been? through my small amount of time with you guys and sort of a beautifully mature church that this is, um, uh, just in every little thing that I've, that I've encountered him in. But this is how we go further. Keep bringing people in. Keep connecting. Keep bringing up more truth, being vulnerable, revealing. And then knowing that that as we go to Jesus... That whatever the, whoever we happen to be, whatever the truth is about that we reveal about ourselves, actually, the tr- Jesus' truth is that his love and forgiveness is such that we are loved just as that person. I experience that all together in connection. We connect, we truth, and we pray. How about I pray for us now? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're going to pray many more times tonight in songs and in, around communion. But, Father, we just want to ask you together to, to, to bind us together in love for those of us who are feeling lonely and disconnected, Father, help help us to, to be uh, willing to risk to connect. But, Father, we pray that those who are already connected will risk in order to bring others in. Father, we pray that we'd risk as we share more truth of our walk and more of your truth about Jesus' gospel to each other because we'll need to keep reminding each other that, that sermons aren't going to do it. Pray, Lord, that after we've done that, that we will pray together, that we'll end our conversations in prayer, that we would go to you so that we wouldn't just build each other up, but would build each other up into faith in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.